I'm John, I'm Paul, I'm George, and I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Ah, yes, welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. My name is Chachi LaPrette. Welcome to our podcast. I'm here with uh, my illustrious co-host who has taught a Beatles class at Suffolk University in Boston, Massachusetts for upwards of 15 years. We welcome Mr. David Gallant. How are you, David? I'm doing fine, Chachi. It's been a while, and um, uh, it's fantastic to be to be back in the arena, especially everything that has gone on in Beetle World over the last couple of months. That's right, and we have two very special guests today, uh, both a dear friends of myself and our program, our podcast, and our first guest is uh, is with us from the UK. He has a fantastic book. I just love his book. It's called The Cutting Edge, The Story of the Beatles Hairdresser Who Defined an Era. It's on Fox and Crow Books, available wherever fine books are sold. And I'm sure during our podcast today, Mr. Leslie Cavendish will tell you how you can get an autographed copy, of which I have one right there. You, you can't see it on uh, podcast view, uh, viewers because it's all audio, but I have the book here on display. It is a fantastic <clears throat> book. It's a lot of fun. And he has been involved in so many things. And one of the reasons why Leslie is joining us, because our broadcast tape day today is January 28th, just two days from the historic day when the Beatles played on the roof of Apple Records. And uh, Mr. Cavendish was in the building uh, that day, and he's going to talk to us about that and all the Beatle things he's been involved in through the years. He's a a great man. You're going to enjoy him. Our other guest is Gary Backstrom. Gary is also a dear friend, a well-respected musician from Boston, Massachusetts. He was the frontman and founder of a band that people just loved in the <laughs> late 80s and 90s called Jiggle the Handle. He's toured with so many bands. He's opened with uh, for the Almond Brothers, Derek Trucks, Los Lobos, Spin Doctors, The Samples, Little Feet, Widespread Panic, many more. He's played with Liberty DeVito from Billy Joel's band and He's performed tribute shows for the likes of the Beatles, Paul Simon, Peter Frampton, Billy Joel, Elton John, and many more. So Gary's joining us today, and he became a musician because of the Beatles. He's a huge Beatles fan, specifically George Harrison. Uh, And Gary does have a show coming up called Frampton Comes Alive, performed by the Gary Backstrom Band in Arlington at the Regent Theater on February 12th, so you can see him there if you are in the New England area. So, gentlemen, there's our intro. Welcome to both of you. Leslie, how have you been over there in the UK? How's life since the last time we spoke? Life's been pretty good, thank you. Um, Happy New Year to you. Belated Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, Yeah, life's been pretty good. I did get the COVID, but um, I recovered pretty quickly. Uh, Been spending, believe it or not, a few few uh been traveling a little bit so i've just spent a month in spain um which was uh, a nice time and uh, i had a great week in the ukraine um kiev and uh, chernobyl i did so yeah things are okay thank you well good for you because we do love you leslie we've become friends over the last couple of years your book is so great and when i scheduled today's podcast along with gary um the date, January 30th, 
1969. You were in the Apple building while the Beatles were playing on stage. Is that correct? Uh, playing on the roof of the, uh, the stage. Oh, on the roof. The roof. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, unexpectedly, I was uh, called by our dear friend that you know called Chris O'Dell. And if anybody doesn't know who Chris O'Dell is, she also wrote a great book called Miss O'Dell. But she's sitting next to Yoko on the chimney, on the roof. And um, Chris was a good friend of mine, uh, still a good friend of mine. And, and uh, at the time, when both of us were not going out with uh, our girlfriends or she, her boyfriends, we used to go out a lot together. Uh, and it was great. You know, we'd go to parties together, Beatle parties, and uh, Dave Clark, five parties we'd go to. Um, and I'd be with her. And she rang me up at the salon. Uh, I had a Beatles back salon in the King's Road uh, when they changed everything to uh, Apple was going to be the empire of everything. You know, Apple tailoring, Apple electronics, Apple films. And I was part of the Apple fashion um, um, part of it. And the salon was in the King's Road. And I get a phone call from Chris, who's working at Apple. She, this time she's either George Harrison, PA, uh, Peter Asher's PA, uh, Peter Brown's PA. She she was PA to everybody, and she she was fantastic at her job. And she said to me, Leslie, something's going on the uh, Apple today. Uh, I think you should come over. Now I used to use um, Savile Row, three Savile Rows, as like a second hair salon. Um, I used to go there, meet Derek Taylor, meet Peter Asher, and I'd be cutting people's hair, whoever was hanging around. Uh, so, but I had no reason to go there that day. I had my clients. So she said, no, come over. I think, I think, think something's happening. The way she was saying it meant, Leslie, get your butt off and go over. So I got a cab, go over to Savile Rose. Um, I don't know if people understood uh, now, but you could walk into Savile Rose. You could walk in. You had a, a guy outside. Uh, he had two receptionists. And no one sort of bothered you. You just said, I have an invitation from Ringo. They were, you can make up a name. And it wasn't that difficult. You didn't have the bodyguards and people around. So I walked in and it was quite normal for me. Hi, Leslie. And I go up and I started seeing a lot of uh, wires around the place and amplifiers being taken up on the roof. Well, going up, I was on the third floor. I was in Derek Taylor's press office. And then you got a floor above that and then you got the roof. And... Um, I thought, oh, I, I just sort of wandered around, tried to get on the roof. Mal Evans was standing there. You don't argue with Mal, lovely guy, but a big guy. And uh, he said, you know, there's too many, there's a lot of people on the roof, equipment is dangerous. Wasn't just said to me, don't, you can't come up. So I was wandering around. And about 20 minutes later, half hour later, I heard suddenly Jojo was a gun from Tucson, Arizona being played out <laughs> of my head. I'm looking up. Um, Still didn't know what was going on, but, you know, you knew that there was music being played up there. The last thing you think of was the Beatles are going to play on the roof. And it was only until I walked over to the window overlooking Savile Row, which is a very, very narrow street. And um, you get people walking by and lunchtime and, uh, you know, suddenly there was no sort of phones at the time. You, you were looking up at a very small sky, you know, about two inches wide, you know, and people were just looking and then stopping and stopping and to the point where the traffic was being stopped. And this concert just went on and on and on and on. Well, went on 49 minutes, I think. So then, yeah, that's how I got there. 
Wow. And, and here we are all these years later. Were you surprised? Well, you must have saw Get Back. Are you surprised that all these years later, over 50 years later, it has it is such impact. It is so impactful all over the world. Um, what are your thoughts on the new Get Back documentary? Well, first of all, I think, I think as a Beatle fan, you, you watched everything. I thought it went on a bit too long, if I'm really honest with you, but I was interested in every single uh, moment uh, that was there. Um, what I liked about it was that whatever disagreements, I mean, I've always said, and I've seen firsthand that, you know, Paul McCartney is the conductor of the Beatles. Uh, he always was, was on the Magical Mystery Tour. He was, you know, if he could have driven the bus, he would have driven the coach and, and wrote the songs at the same time or do this. And you could see how he led that band. He knew it was a Beatle. And to see it on the get back and people thinking that you know he was bossy he, he didn't respect George maybe um, what I loved about the whole package was that whatever the issues they had when they got together they, they were a band they were the Beatles whatever George fitted in Ringo fitted in John fitted in Paul fitted in and it was wonderful to see the humor you don't lose that humor from you know, from going to school, you don't lose it. You may have disagreements, you may have distractions, women distractions, but, you know, come on, boys, now's the time to work. Let's play. And you saw it, and I loved that. And to me, that was the lasting thing that I saw in Get Back, that, you know, people, you know, people looking and they were arguing, but no, you couldn't be the Beatles without the four of them. That's right. And that's, nope. that's what I saw. Uh, Professor, before I, I hand the mic to you, I want to bring Gary into the converse, conversation. Gary Baxter. Gary, you and I kind of grew up in the same area. <clears throat> While Mr. Cavendish, I call him Mr. Cavendish, but Leslie, but, but Leslie uh, was on the inside looking out. We're on the outside looking in. Uh, it all started for me on February 9th, 1964. I think you're a little bit younger than I am. Uh, I was uh, I was around eight years old, seven or eight years old when I saw it, and I still remember it vividly. What do the Beatles mean to you? And when and what did what did Get Back? Uh, how did you react to the whole Get Back documentary? Did you see it? Uh, yeah. And what and what, they they determined your path to being a musician, as the Beatles determined my path to being a DJ. Tell um, us about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I from a really early age. Well, you're going to think I'm silly, but <laughs> and my, my, somebody for Christmas bought me an A-track of uh, the Beatles rock and roll music because I was very into Elvis and really into um, all things rockabilly in 1950s music. That was like when I was, say, five, six, seven years old, I was infatuated, you know, with that type of music. The movie um, American Graffiti, right? So all the music on that A-track was the well, most of it was they're sort of rockabilly sounding older, you know, um, songs like, you know, Kansas city and things like that. And long tall Sally. And I fell in love with it, but being uh seven or eight years old, I had no idea that the Beatles were famous. <laughs> so <laughs> I used to sit behind this chair in our living room with the eight track player. I had no clue. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, like, I don't know who these guys are, but I couldn't stop listening. And then, you know, I think my parents noticed that I was spending hours and hours listening to the same A-track over. They probably got sick of it. 
and then started to buy me other Beatles eight tracks. So then, and then albums, you know, um, when we got a record player. Um, and yeah, I became so obsessed. All my cousins, like everyone would just ask me Beatles questions all the time. I would buy the fan magazines, you know, that used to be able to get back then at the record stores. And, um, and I, at the same time was learning how to play guitar and I think I proceeded to learn every single Beatles song there was uh, that I could get my hands on with my teacher and by ear. And, and oddly enough, I felt like somebody was guiding me because I got all the records in order as they came. But I didn't know that at the time because I was really young. So it was kind of strange. I, and when I look back on it, I got the, you know, <clears throat> the Beatles uh, second album and with the Beatles and it just progressed from there. Um, and I was literally obsessed. I had posters all over my wall. I wanted to be George Harrison. Like I was just absolutely obsessed. I made a guitar out of, uh, out of plywood. Me and my dad took a, took a saw and we, we looked at the picture and we carved out this guitar and I put blocks on it and glued it together and put elastic bands on it. And that was my copy of his guitar. And I just put the music on and before I had a real one and I'd just sit there and pretend to play along to, to all the music, but I was literally obsessed for years and years. It's just, it's part of my DNA. Like it's just, well, you've, you've gone on to really do some amazing things. Leslie, this gentleman is a well-respected guitarist musician who has, you have fronted orchestras, 50 piece orchestras playing Beatles shows. Mm -hmm. And so Leslie, you kind of walked into being uh, the uh, hairstylist, you worked under the Vidal Sassoon, and mm -hmm. you became a hair a hairstylist to meet girls. Right. And so, you know, and look at uh, first of all, look at Gary's hair. He has the whole George Harrison look going on. I, I said to Gary, I said, when Leslie sees your hair, he's going <laughs> to probably give you some pointers. And you don't cut anymore, Leslie. You're kind of retired, enjoying life. But listen, like a gunfighter, you know, maybe he cleans his. Uh gun occasionally yeah my scissors come out occasionally but uh, that's how leslie started you were living in swinging london and you chose at an early age to be uh, be a hair a hairdresser a hairdresser a hairstylist a haircutter what did they call you back then uh, it wasn't a hairdresser right is it uh, a hairstylist well they used to call them stylists yeah okay. that's a that's a general thing then if you get into the technical terms in hairdressing you know a stylist could be a good cutter could, could mm -hmm. be a good hairdresser could be mm -hmm. a good uh, uh, someone who does long hair, but a stylist is the overall aspect, yeah. So, so you me. know, I bring Mr. Gallant, Professor Gallant, into the conversation. Uh, yeah. I've, uh, Ms., uh, David, well, what would you like to add to all this? Oh, well, uh, Chachi, just picking up on some of what our, our guests have said. Well, first off, with regarding Get Back, um, and I agree with Leslie uh, about the uh, uh, the length of it now, we're caught in that world of having felt, I wish I could have known more after seeing the original Let It Be, Michael Lindsay Hogg. And by the way, a little bit of cross-promotion for Chachi, his interviews with Plastic EP, with Michael Lindsay Hogg, several parts now, are absolutely fascinating. Now, when we get to Peter Jackson, you know, Let It Be might have given one... <laughs> We wanted more after that. And Peter Jackson's like, maybe we didn't need that much. So I think a lot of the fans, we look for something in the middle. The thing that I was always left with is just technologically the beautiful look of the film. 
so crystal clear, right? The sound was great. And maybe this appeals to Leslie's um, life as, here's another fancy term, Chachi, esthetician, okay? Uh, and, and everything that he's done in terms of the look of it and the style of it. Now, I'll get into this in a second, thinking, well, what the hell were they doing with their hair at that time? Because at a certain point, there became what was called the let it be look, where you weren't necessarily styled or you were intentionally unstyled. Um, and uh, Chachi, I was speaking to our good friend, Candy Leonard, as she was on a Zoom. We were, we were having a, a, one of my students for one of her projects interviewed uh, Candy about Beatle fandom. And that's what she was left with after watching Let It Be. Why wasn't John washing his hair? Geez, they looked a mess. <laughs> and the thing is, you could tell, you could look so closely at how they were styled, how they were presenting themselves, whether they cared or whether they didn't. I think Paul cared more than the others because he was much more conscious, I think, in some ways of the camera, being that almost quasi interior director of the Beatles and, and orchestrator, as Leslie was saying. And so I thought because you could see everything so beautifully in that. And um, to, to Gary's point, uh, I think it, it was also kind of neat that in the midst of whatever they're trying to work on in terms of new materials, when in doubt, they fall back on playing rockabilly songs and their old rock and roll songs. And they were being the Beatles before they were actually the Beatles and stuff that they always really loved. I mean, heck, right? I mean, you know, uh, John returns to it in the mid-70s on his rock and roll album, right? So there's, there's always that draw to it. Like, hey, we got into this because we wanted to play these songs of these artists and these records that we, we grabbed onto. So uh, like a life raft, when we were kids and you can always go back to that. And I think that was always sort of the real charming engine, but I am curious, Leslie, um, at that point, you know, you were there that day, you weren't up on the roof, you weren't called over professionally, even though you had a professional role there. What was going on with their look at that time? Uh, I think we've got to go back just a little bit uh, before that actual look because um, they'd all sort of been grown apart from that time. Everyone was um, living in different places, and that was it. We're talking about 69. I mean, you talked about the album Let It Be, or the, the Let It Be album. Uh, the hair doesn't look like... I mean, that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever had um, because that's I look at the Beatle hairstyles, I look at their albums, and that's where I came in. Let It Be was me. You know, that's the way we used to look. Um, that neat look that Brian Epstein, um, who is to sort of take so much credit for the way he projected them and the way he dressed them. You just have to look at the way Brian Epstein dresses is to see how he wanted his boys to be dressed. And, you know, to tour Europe, America, with the most beautiful, shining, mop-top hair, the suits all looking beautiful, the Chelsea boots looking polished, uh, even down to shirt and ties. Um, you know, I that moment in Candlestick Park is when I think the Beatles came alive individually. To me, they were like a tree that had branches. And you had you know, George, John, Paul and Ringo all went off. The, the, the branches grew and they all became individuals. So, you know, the hair, you know, became... I mean, the first time I saw Paul, we're talking about... I've just been doing this today, funny enough. Uh, in September 1966, it was the very first time I saw Paul. It was just after the concert, which I didn't realise that it was their last concert at the time. And Paul had was unshaven. You know, his hair was looking a bit sort of not neat and 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 lovely. You know, if Brian Epstein would walked over, he probably would have had a shower, shave, and you know, looked the part. But 
this is the way we 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 did our hair and um, at Sassoon's it became you, you had this geometric look about things so which complete change from what the women used to have in those days it used to be back comb lacquer um uh bangs and flick ups and dusty springfield type of hair which only she could wear by the way um but the men had you know in america you had gi cuts in france they had the college cut uh in england we had the short back and sides this you know suddenly the beatles and the fashion and mary quant and everything became freedom so when your hair looked like it did and let it be those hair that hair was washed cleaned cut in a way that looked messy so you know that that whole idea of what it was like moving on a little bit longer further on you'll notice that at the time john's hair wasn't very long you know he had it cut short from how i won the war uh paul's you know the the um uh, uh the, the sergeant pepper look was short gradually george's hair i used to cut george's hair a lot um but i would only take about half an inch off you know so his hair was growing thicker and longer and they looked sort of evolved around it until you get to get back on that rooftop to me you were absolutely right there david paul loves the camera and he had a beautiful tommy nutter suit on he had a beautiful shirt on he had a great hair style cut by moi a few weeks before and he had a beard and that beard was jet black and he looked great on it there you look at the others you're right uh john by that time i'd already told him a little while ago unexpectedly you know that he was going to go bald you know but uh you know um, <laughs> he, he, he was the bearer of bad news <laughs> yeah 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 and he did sort of say to me am i going to go bald but you know i said to him, if you don't cut you know keep it trimmed and everything you'll lose your hair um but then you get into that whole hair piece, you know, in Amsterdam, Yoko, it, his look changed with Yoko. They dressed in white, they dressed in black, they grew the same hair and everything, everything. Yoko had twice as much thick hair as John. So John was right. never going to be Yoko's hair, but he let right. you look at them, their hair was the same, that his hair would look messy. Uh, George kept it up, but then, then decided just to let it grow and grow, whatever. And Ringo, always had his hair neat you know Maureen his wife was a hairdresser so she probably gave him the ins and outs of what hair could do and uh, in fact I think Ringo said wasn't it after two or three years that when he saves enough money and the Beatles are no more he's gonna have a chain of hairdressing saddles so Leslie I I uh I I agree where 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 Ringo is also it is it looks long maybe it doesn't look as coiffed but it is styled and it is mannered and one thing that's great about what we see what you've seen, what you could only hear <laughs> on that day is the way the wind played through their hair, you know, and, and you're right about Paul you know, taking that full brunt up front and, and uh, Ringo as well. You know, you can, yep. it blows enough so you can see the old uh, gray in his sideboards uh, <laughs> every once in a while that would be colored. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I was, I did find the stylized look of the film uh, fantastic just because of the of the quality just it was it was visually striking if not at times um you know uh, a bit uh, over long but like any as i've taught these for many years like any long read or long novel um uh, i'm i'm ready to go back in for a reviewing uh but probably in smaller in smaller steps you know <laughs> um but uh 
yeah, I agree that uh, you know uh, Gary's got a wonderful uh, a wonderful mane there. Uh, that uh, it. it's great it's great rock and roll hair, as we say. And I think I mentioned this to Chachi. I I may not I don't I don't think I've ever met you, but I'm quite sure um, if you had played during those uh, venues that years during those years, I I spent uh, uh, far too many long nights at Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel, which is one oh. of the great music venues in New England. Uh, yep. Classic joint. So, yep. uh, it, and again, uh, further from what Chachi said a long time ago, welcome to our podcast. And, and I'll say it, Chachi, welcome back anytime. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, Gary uh, did a show with me recently during COVID. It was a, a charity event for Regent Theater. And we had selected Boston musicians, notables, uh, to perform a Beatles song. And Gary and his band performed Isn't It a Pity? Uh, with the with the the long hair, he uh, had a very George esque look, but um, but George is your favorite Beatle, and I, I think maybe we should have Leslie talk about the three Beatles hairs that he did cut because you know Gary, when you go to get your hair cut, um, <laughs> women or men, they tend the the hairstylist becomes a shrink, uh, a a psychiatrist in a lot of ways. And you open up and you tell things to your hairstylist, things that you normally wouldn't tell people. And, uh, and so Gary, I mean, so Leslie, (laughs) George is Gary's favorite beetle and each beetle that you cut were different. Some were quiet, some were talkative. Mm -hmm. Um, How was George and the other three beetles when, when you were cutting their hair, were they, were they playful, interactive? Were they revealing? What was your experience, especially with George, for Gary's sake? Well, I, I, Gary, hi. Um, yeah, George, you know, he, he actually was, you know, people say, you know, he was the quiet one. I mean, you've only got to look at certain, uh, go back in history and see, he wasn't such the quiet one, but he gave this facade of being the quiet one, the, you know, the, the, the one that is um, uh, meditating the whole time. And I think that actually after... His, he came back from India. Um, I didn't know him before, as I say. I met, them, I met him in 67. But, you know, I used to go on the... Uh, when we went on the Magical Mystery Tour, George was also still a bit quiet, but then so was John. Um, reason being, Brian Epstein had died two weeks before, three weeks before. Uh, Ringo was playing with his Aunt Jess and screaming and shouting, and Paul was, as I say, doing his bit... Um, George could be very funny, you know, he, he but he, you know, you felt that um, you would, it's a bit like sometimes if you had a needle, you just want to sort of just poke him on the side for him to go, ouch, you know, because I'm not even sure he would even feel that pain there. But he used to come into the salon, where, see, Paul used to live, uh, well, Paul still does. He lives in Avenue, uh, Cavendish Avenue, believe it or not, um, which right. is about, which was a 10-minute drive from uh, his house if he had to go to, uh, maybe a 15-minute drive if he had to go from his house to Savile Road. Um, John, George, and uh, Ringo, they lived down in Virginia Water, and on a good day without any, good, without any traffic, it would take an hour and a half, hour and a quarter. Right? In between, I used to see John, uh, George a lot. He used to come into the salon. Before he went to have a meeting, he would come into the salon. I'd get a phone call from either uh, his chauffeur or uh, Mal Evans to say, George's coming in, just to make sure there's no people hanging around or there's any journalists hanging around there, which were very discreet. They're very, you know, never sort of, I've never sort of announced that one of the Beatles are coming in. And he would come in 
And we would sit there and I knew he was coming up for something, for a meeting. And he just wanted, one of the nicest things about having your hair done is having it washed, having it, knowing it's clean, someone fiddling around with your hair yep. and blow drying it. You can actually close your eyes and totally relax. Or you can just yabba, 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 to, you know, talk about things. The, the thing I love talking, you know, I, I've got a sports complex up there, you know, so I, anything to do with sport, I, I, I can talk about and I love it. Um, with all four Beatles, I never had the conversation of football, which is soccer out, out in the States. You know, that's, that's my passion. That's a lot of guys' passion. Oh, you know, I can go down from Keith Moon, you know, to Barry Gibb to say, talk about football and I'll get a reaction from them. But I've never got a reaction. You know, you, you're living in a place called Liverpool and, and, and Everton. You've got the red side and you've got the blue side of Liverpool. I wouldn't mind, but Liverpool were conquering the world when it came to football. They were winning European championships. They had the captain of England at the time. So I found that very strange that my opening conversation to them, when I first mentioned it, um, which was just to pause, I didn't get sort of, oh yeah, what do you think Liverpool won last week? And you know, do you think they're gonna win? So that was out the question. So, you know, George came in, George would sit there and he would just, he was always polite, how are you doing? How's it going? Whatever. And he, then you felt this mode, mood would be, you know what, have your hair washed. Let's just trim it. We'd put on a little bit of music. We had a bit of music in the salon. Um, uh, something I, I used to go and do a lot of DJs and they used to bring in lots of music. So and I had something called Indo Jazz that came in. You know, I put it in on, on the background and he was very quiet. We'd be there for about 45 minutes and it would be a very polite thank you. And uh, off he would go. And that would be George for you. You know, what he, what he was getting his hair done for may have been Maybe he was having a date somewhere, <laughs> which is more than likely, or could have been. Um, but yeah, that was that, that was George. So uh, I think he would have enjoyed his company, Gary, because um, you know I'm not a musician. You know, and I, you know I would like to have. Uh, you know, my questions to musicians are: Can you play me something, or have you written anything? You know, you could have actually, if I had a guitar, I'd maybe be able to jam with him. But that never happened. Mm. So that that's that's George. Yeah, I'll give him 10 out of 10 for that. Chachi, uh, I, I think I'd like Gary to let us know a little bit why George, why it was George. Well, I'll say a bunch of things. So so I don't, as, I'll say two things. As I got older and grew and different parts of my personality grew, I would shift, right? I'd be like, then I'd become obsessed with John and then whoosh, I'd shift and become obsessed with Paul. But my first and longest was George and I think it's because <clears throat> I really loved his voice and I just, and he was a lead guitar player and that's what I wanted to be. And um, so I spent all my time learning his parts, like literally with a record player, you know, then you take the needle, put it back, take the needle, put it back, take the, you know, listen to it over and over and over. And it just lit me on fire. I don't know that, 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 that is probably why. And I loved his songwriting. I, I love the other two, obviously, but I, when I, maybe because you didn't hear him as much, when it would come on, it would be really special, you know, um, like the yeah, song yeah. "I Need You." Oh man, that would just—I don't know—it just like it would hit me like right in in, in my heart. And um, so I think because I, it was, I got into him first, and those were my formative years from like eight years old to thirteen. 
you know, you're, 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 you're going through a lot in those years. Right. So he was like a male role model a little bit. And he always seemed very, um, like Leslie, what you were saying, just, um, kind hearted, um, and respectful and not very, but maybe he was boisterous at times. I don't know, but I just respected that. He seemed really put together and cool, you know, and, uh, just something attracted me to him and, I feel so lucky that um, I had a teacher that helped me learn, you know, I'd be like, can we learn? <laughs> How do we play this lick today? You know? And um, it, it, I, I learned so much about being a musician from listening to him and, and singing too. I, he was my first person that I tried to emulate singing like, so that was another big thing. Cause you find your voice sometimes by trying to sound like somebody you really like. Mm-hmm. So it was both guitar and that, you know, well, Sachi, I, can I can I pick Gary's brain with one question about George? Sure. Um, I my my wonderful uh, wife and my kids. My, my main Christmas gift was was Paul McCartney's "The Lyrics," the the you know mm-hmm. two volume set. It's um, it's fantastic. It's the other thing takes a deep dive. Now, uh, Paul has always said in interviews how he thought uh, George's short guitar intro for "And I Love Her." right is it makes the whole song Mm -hmm. yet we know the central one of the central little moments of get back let it be is the argument with 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 paul and george and paul references you know remember i'm not getting at you like hey jude when george wanted to double the vocal paul's vocal on hey jude and i don't even think we have like a rehearsal version chachi or any outtake where that was ever there but that was like the source right if we look for the source of tension or arguments george wanted to sort of double paul's vocal when he starts singing hey jude and i was curious maybe gary's look maybe he hadn't heard that or anything but it is often referenced what he thinks of like george's coloring of his attempted coloring with Hey Jude, which is absolutely rejected, causes problems. But <laughs> his absolutely intuitive, wonderful coloring of And I Love Her, which McCartney says, that's the whole song. You know, my part is nothing compared to George's little brief guitar intro. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might want to talk about, is that part of what drew you to George as well, to sort of the subtle colorings that he would give to a song? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I didn't know, you know, again, I was really young. I was eight. And so he was like, it was the first like guitarist that I was exposed to where I got, you know, that's a very young formative age. So yeah, there were part of it was the sounds he'd use, which some of them I still don't understand um, <laughs> how, how, you know, cause I don't, a lot of the equipment they used is very foreign to an American kid growing up. It was very different equipment. So it was hard to get some of those sounds with what we had here, just using, they used to use flat mom strings. We use round mounds and, that sounds very different. Um, I think also because he wrote a lot of his solos, I believe from what I've read, I could be wrong. He would write them ahead of time. So they were like a composed part of the song, just like, you know, you would compose the lyrics and the melody. So I think the solos were really impactful because there was so much pre-thought to them. Um, I did not know that he wanted to double the vocal <laughs> on, on that. That's I love learning things like this because there's so much stuff that you don't know. Um, and as far as that argument goes, I I've been in bands before and I know how that <laughs> argument goes. It's it's an argument that happens in band after band after band. It, it's just that kind of stuff happens. 
people butt heads or don't understand each other or come from i i thought let it be showed it in a much fairer light i didn't feel so much like he was being picked on i just felt like they were disagreeing you know yeah. and yeah. and i've been on both sides of that i've been the person that's felt like oh come on would you just stop like just <laughs> let me you know but i've also been the person that's like please don't play it like that it's just not working can you just try this please just hear me I, out I, other uh, other musicians, other musicians like yourself, watching those scenarios, you could obviously say, "My God, they went through all the crap every other band does." Whether they're in the garage, on stage, off stage, yeah. Yeah. yet when when something as subtle like that that any band member has gone through, when it happens on Planet Beatles, it seems like it's something different, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> it's right. ordinary. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, uh, Gary was talking about that. There's so many stories that he doesn't know. And I, I mentioned one to him yesterday and he was unaware about the hell's angels situation. <laughs> and I told him, wait till you hear Leslie's stories. Cause Leslie, his book by Leslie Cavendish, one of our guests, the cutting edge is just filled with so many inside stories. This is a guy who grew up in the, in London, um, in the midst of the Beatles happens upon a career, uh, just to meet girls. And, uh, and then Jane Asher walks in. You're cutting Jane Asher's hair, and that leads you, and you'll Enforcing. explain this, it leads you to go to Paul's house to cut his hair, and then the way you cut Paul's hair led him to Africa, and I'll let you fill in the holes, and if he didn't go to Africa on a safari, there is likelihood there would not have been a Sergeant Pepper album. So tell us how that went from Jane. You know, I mean, he had the idea of going to to Africa. Maybe, maybe not. But nonetheless, describe how that all went down when you cut Jane's hair. Okay. Uh, Sergeant Pepper would have been there, me or not me, hair or no hair. But the actual actual flight, so... You're right. I, I cut Jane Asher. I cut Jane Asher's hair. She asked me that. You know, I love saying that. You know, have, will, you, will you come around and cut my boyfriend's hair? Never mentioned Paul McCartney. We never spoke about Beatles. We never spoke about her relationship with Paul. All the time I was with her, um, and uh, which she respected as well. So obviously, so she said, "Would you cut my boyfriend's hair?" So yes, I go over there. I meet Paul. Uh, as I'm sitting there, and the first thing I'm doing it's not like coming to a salon. It's going being invited into his front room with a mad dog running around with hairs everywhere, you know, young little Martha. And, um, and you know, I'm sitting there having tea with Paul McCartney, whereas had he come down to the salon, I would have got someone to send him to the backwash and have his hair washed and get ready for the, for the haircut. Um, we go upstairs and I cut his hair for the very first time. First question, obviously, is how would you like your hair? Uh, question of all four of them said do it the way you feel which is a great thing to say to somebody you know especially uh on you know I'm, I'm four years younger you know five years younger and uh i was having my hair like that anyway i was seeing how fashion was created and um so i cut his hair for the first time the second time i cut his hair um which was about three weeks later uh we were talking and Jane had been working. Uh, she, you know, she's the club, she's an actress and she doesn't, she's, you know, um, trained for the Bristol Old Vic, Shakespearean actress. She was working in Bristol doing a film. 
And I'd have my conversation again, instead of being, how's Liverpool doing and, or Everton? Uh, I said, I haven't seen Jane for a while. And he said, no, no, she's, she's filming in Bristol. I said, oh, can't be. I said, you're going to go down and see her? He said, no. He said, I'd like to go to the film set because, but if I went down there, all the questions would be about the Beatles and when we're going to get back together and whatever, whatever. And it distracts away from Jane. And so I said, okay. And I thought, okay, fair enough. Carrying on with the conversation. I said, so when she finishes, um, I take it that you'll be going on holiday with her. You know, it's the first time you've got a bit of freedom. He said, oh, I'd love to do that. He said, again, you know, the paparazzi, the people, everywhere we go, we're followed, we're followed. And I'm cutting his hair. I'm not cutting it. I'm sort of, his hair's wet by this time. I've just trimmed it a little bit. And um, as I'm combing it back, wet, which is a great thing, you know, the, all the hairs off his face there. And just looking in the bathroom mirror, or she came in through the bathroom mirror, but definitely <coughs> not in a salon. Um, I just said to him, what a shame. You know, I said, maybe you ought to go in disguise. It was just a quick remark. And he, he just looked at me, you know, in the mirror and went, like how? And I got his hair and I said, why don't I cut all your hair off? And he looked at me again and said, well, go on then. And I said, you serious? And I said, yeah. I said, I'll I said, I'm talking about cutting your hair short. So, you know, anybody that's done hairdressing, you don't cut the hair straight away. He had a beetle haircut this time, you know, although a longer beetle haircut over his ears and everything. So you don't start from the side because someone has three count. You don't start from the top. It's too dramatic. So you work your way up the back, like you know, you're sneaking around the back of the head, you know, till you gradually come to the ear and you go, and the ear's showing, you know, brilliant. And then he goes, okay, not flinch, no, no sort of, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm thinking, what are you doing, Leslie? <laughs> finally, finally, I finished it. Uh, I don't forget, this time as well, he was unshaven, right? There's a hint, little hint of a moustache, two, three, four day growth, whatever. And his hair was suddenly really short. And all I was thinking in my head in, in a mad moment, because I hadn't met Brian Epstein yet, and one of the other, the fifth beetle I never cut. I was two weeks, I was, had an appointment at his house in Chapel Street two weeks before, uh, before he died, actually. But anyway, and I was thinking, what about if Brian Epstein gets an offer for an American promoter for $100 billion for them to appear once? And then he says yes, and Paul turns up with a short haircut. I said, you know, and I was madly just thinking a mad thing. And I, anyway, I finished his hair. He didn't say anything. He said, yeah, looks great. You know, looks good. Okay. I thought, God, this is it now. I'm not going to go around this. I've had my one cut wonder or two cut wonder. I'm never going to cut his hair again. Anyway, about four or five weeks later, I pick up the newspaper and it says, Paul McCartney arriving back at London Airport, not Heathrow Airport, at London Airport with Jane Asher and Mal Evans on a wonderful holiday from Kenya. And then, God, he got away. He actually went away on holiday with her and he wasn't recognised. And obviously, during the course of that conversation, the press must have said to Mal Evans, um, who cut his hair? And he said, oh, his barber, you know, his hair, and Leslie Cavendish. And from that day on, that's when the press sort of got to know. So I never told anybody I cut Paul McCartney's hair. The only people who knew were Vidal Sassoon, a couple of the guys at Sassoon's. I never told, I didn't tell any press people. Uh, I, it was such a... You've got to remember, I, you know, I'm a Beatle fan as well. So, you know, to have the, you know, my sister had Paul McCartney's uh, picture on the on the bedroom wall there. Here I am, 
cutting Paul McCartney's hair. I'm not going to blow it by telling everyone, oh, look, everybody, I cut Paul McCartney's hair. You know, it's not the thing to do. I didn't think it was. Anyway, it turned out the best thing I ever did because uh, um, from then it led me on to the other Beatles and led me on to other people as well. So, you know, I still think the uh, Sgt. Pepper look was still coming on, Charlie, however kind you are. So, well, you know, yeah, it maybe... Was a different look. But it, I, and I and I know that people are listening and they're not seeing, but here's a picture of Leslie. You looked so hip, uh, a babe magnet, they call it in America. Look yeah. at you. Denim <laughs> jacket, Levi jacket, I've still got it. Yep, yep. Wow, that's fantastic. Old Rummel, Chachi. Yeah, Old Rummel. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's just amazing that you happened upon this career. And then the other story that I was telling Gary with the Hells Angels, you and Chris O'Dell, who I love, great woman. Um, I've interviewed her several times. Very, very sweet. And um, you became roommates with Chris. And uh, George invited the Hells Angels over. Now, talk about that and how they ended up in your apartment, and yeah. uh, what what was that like? Were you at the Apple Records Christmas party where they no. got into a fight? No, no I heard about okay. it. I heard okay. about it. But you know, when you go on holiday, you know, I'm saying to everybody, you're sitting down, you you're at a bar or you're at a hotel or whatever, and you see the same people the whole time, and you turn around and say, "Oh, when you come to London, you must give me a call." They never, you, you never see them again, but it's being polite. We come to America, give us a call. Everyone does it, and everyone's polite. And George has gone to hate Ashby, stoned out of his head, wants to see where it all is, and he's met the Hells Angels. Oh, when you come to London, come and give me a call. You know, that's <laughs> one of those little remarks. And, but they took him up on it. So they arrived. Um, <laughs> he, got, he got warned uh, that uh, the Hells Angels were coming, and they were going, actually, to... By, they're coming to London first to sort out uh, the political situation in Czechoslovakia. There was a political uprising at the time, and they were going out there as the uh, uh, as the people who were going to save the Czechs. Anyway, so they ends up they end up in London. The first of all, the first sign of, of trouble is that they turn up at London Airport, and they've got to play duty. There's twelve of them. Uh, they got uh, uh, one, two. Uh, three Harley Davidsons and, a, and loads of stuff and they got no money. So the phone call goes to the Apple offices, could you please pay for the uh, taxes that come in? So that's the first sign that they've arrived. And then George obviously gets to hear about it and he writes a note to all the Apple staff um, and saying that the Hells Angels are arriving in London, look after them and uh, do what they, you know, make them feel welcome, blah, 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 but tell them, do not tell them where I am, right? <laughs> so straight away, he's what we call in London, scarpered. He's done a, I'm out the way, let everyone, let Derek Taylor deal with it or somebody, you know? And uh, so they arrive at the offices at Apple, uh, Chris O'Dell is there, and the first thing they're doing is, I mean, you know, they're demanding, so I've been told, this is, you know, demanding, where's the drink? You know, at Derek, uh, at, uh, Derek Taylor's um, uh, office upstairs, the press room, I mean, it was like a cocktail. I mean, if you read, uh, the, you know, the, the, the great uh, D'Angelo book, you know, the cocktail party, it's, um, it's exactly like that. Food, drinking gin and tonics at nine o'clock in the morning, having joints in the morning, you know, press coming in there. 
uh, how they stayed sober, I don't know how it worked during the day there, but uh, that's what happened. And this is what happened with the Hells Angels. Give us the booze, give us this, give us that. And they were obviously taken over, they took over a whole floor. And Chris used to come back and say to me, oh, you know, the Hells Angels have turned up today. You know, knowing Chris O'Dell, you know, uh, as I do, she befriends them, right? She becomes, you know, she's from, uh, she's from Arizona and she probably, I don't know what she was talking about, whatever it was, they, 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 they liked her. I'm now working at my salon in the King's Road, which is only five minutes from my apartment. And I finished work and I lived on the ground floor in Chelsea Manor Street. And as I'm walking down, as I'm walking down, coming towards my apartment, I see two Harley Davidsons chained to the lamppost. And I saw smoke coming out of the window, like they were going to elect a pope. You know, there was so much smoke coming out. <coughs> oh my God, I'm going to get busted here. This is it. So I go in, I'm getting quite nervous. I open my, my front door. And there's Chris, I had um, uh, the sort of Af Afghan table with the, the cushions all on the floor. And there's Chris O'Dell holding fort there. There's a guy called Sweet William. And there's another guy, I've just forgotten his name. And they're sitting there and there's another girl and they're drinking Budweiser's. And I had a lovely table there. And he said to me, you know, it's like I'm going to his apartment. He said, do you want to drink, Leslie? So I said, yes. I said, oh, no, please don't open the bottle on my table. Please don't. And he's gone like that and he's knocked it. I'm not going to say a word. So I sit down and he said to me, I'm getting a bit nervous. And so I said, oh, you join London? I was being very polite. You join London? He said, oh, yeah, Chris and I have had a great time today. And, um, and I've just taken her around, uh, uh, around uh, uh, we've just been around Harrods all down Night Street. Harrods, we've been and Chris is on the back. I'm saying, what on the back of this guy? He said, yes, yeah, you were just tripping out. It's fantastic. You're just tripping out. It's brilliant. I'm going, oh, great. So he said to me, do you want to come? The other guy said to me, do you want to come for a ride on the bike? You know, and I'm thinking, no, they're all stowed out on LSD here. They're on acid trips here. But I'm not going to go on the bike. I said, no, no, very politely. No, not today. I've got to work, you know. And then he said to me, you used to you cut the Beatles' hair, don't you? And I said, yes. Well, with that, that was like the opening of the gates. Oh, man, I was his best friend. You know, what they like, you know, what, what they like. I said, oh, they're great, they're great. You know, you met them. He said, yeah, we met the George and everything. Anyway, we're there. And uh, when they stayed overnight, when they left, um, we, I don't know, we listened to The Grateful Dead. That's what we listened to. They got me into The Grateful Dead. I became a deadhead that night. And I still am. And um, I couldn't believe it. And actually, when they left, he gave me a calling card. It's in the book, Chachi, and it's got on it um, there's a picture of the Hell's Angels. And it says on the back, I'm reading this off my head now. When we do wrong, when we do wrong, everybody cares. Everybody cares. But when we do right, no one cares. It was something like that. And then it said, Sweet William. I've still got it here at home. And he said to me, whenever you come to uh, California, he said, you just look me up, we'll look after you. And I said, great. So there you go. That was my little Hell's Angel story there. And, and you didn't show up like they did. You should have <laughs> up. Didn't show up. Yeah. yeah. That is, that's a great story. And, and another fantastic, well, you had a great opportunity. 
Um, and I don't know if Gary and David, I know the professor will recognize where I'm going with this, but a man called you and I'm jumping around in the story here because there's so many great stories in your book. A man calls you and, and they all know who you are because of your affiliation with the Beatles. And he invites you to America to yeah. go on a business venture with him. Now, I don't know if you this name occurs, who this person is to you, Gary, but a gentleman by the name of Jay Sebring hears about you and wants to go in business with you. Yeah. Tell us how that's what that was about and explain to the audience where that led to. Okay, so, um, yeah, Jay, a guy called, as Chazzy said, you know, I get a phone call and he says to me, my name is, he said, hi, are you Leslie? So I said, yeah. He said, my name's Jay Sebring. He said, and um, I'm a hairdresser like yourself in America. And uh, I thought I'd just sort of mention to you that I do Steve McQueen's hair, Frank Sinatra's hair, the Beach Boys hair. That's enough now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. And he said, you, you, you do the Beatles hair and the Bee Gees and the Who. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, so he said, I've got a great idea. He said, um, you know, because we we're into the men's hairdresser thing, I sort of want to start selling products. Um, and um, the Sebring thing, I think that maybe it'd be great if you came along and, and join me on this adventure, if you'd be interested. I think the two of us together could really work this out. That sounded great, actually, you know, especially who his, he was here, he was doing away with situation that day. Eh? And uh, I said, he said, yeah, that'd be good. So I said, yeah, great. He said, why don't you come out in the next couple of weeks and we can talk about it? I said, well, actually, I can't do that. I've got to sort of work here at the moment. But I tell you what, maybe I think in a month's time, I think I was actually not quite sure whatever I was doing, I was doing. And I said, I'll give you a call in a month's time and I'll get together. And yes, I'd love to come out there, Jane. It sounds great. Now, move the story a bit forward. I didn't realize that, uh, you know, one of Adele's good friends was a guy called Roman Polanski, still alive, film producer, married to a very lovely looking woman called Sharon Tate. And uh, she used to come in, long, blonde, voluptuous looking woman. And uh, that was fine. Next thing I know, about three weeks later, headlines, Manson murders, Sharon Tate, stabbed to death, eight months pregnant, blood on the walls, pigs, reference to the Beatles song. And next to her is her hairdresser, uh, is her boyfriend, Jay Sebring, who was cut, and I think he even had his, uh, you know what, cut off. And I'm going... I can't read this properly. This is this is not real. That's Jay Sebring didn't realize he was Sharon Tate's hairdresser, Sharon Tate's um, ex-girlfriend, but they stayed very friendly. And they were staying in a guy called Terry Melcher's house. I think he was Doris Day's son, who was a record producer, who had promised uh, Manson a record deal I think a bit to get him off his chest, you know, because he's probably come to see him and said, you know, I've written some songs. I know you're involved in music. Would, would you like to produce me? Whatever. And I think he just said, he just said yes. And he, again, he scarpered. He disappeared and rented the house to um, Roman Polanski. And I was invited to stay there. And had it been that particular time that I would have gone, oh, yeah, great. Let's go out there. He could have had the hairdresser either side of Sharon Tate. Um, 
just to carry it on a little bit more scarier, I went to see the film last year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with Brad Pitt and um, the other guy, I've forgotten his name, and uh, DiCapri, DiCapri, whatever his name is. Yeah, Leonardo. Leonardo, yeah, Leonardo. And I'm watching this film um, with my wife, and we're sitting there watching it, and it's all going through. Suddenly, the show and tape bit comes on with Guy playing Jay Seedling. And I'm going, oh, my God, you know. And uh, in the film, they're living next door to his house. And I'm watching this whole thing there, and I think the film, I'm not going to ruin it for anyone, but they don't actually show you what happened, but you know what happened. And I don't know who would have played me if I'd gone out there. So, um, yeah, one of those very lucky situations where, again, being in the right place at the right time, not being in the right place at the right time. But that was a very scary thing. And, uh, and um, yeah, yeah. In fact, I was in touch with his uh, uncle uh, last year and they've made a lovely film. You go on YouTube and there's a lovely film about Jay Seedling um, by this guy. So, um, yeah, that was a scary, scary tale. It's, it's those simple little, you know, twists of fate, you know. Yeah, you, simple twist of fate, as Bob Dylan said. <laughs> yes, in fact, and, and I will tell you, I know Gary, I think you're a huge Grateful Dead fan, right? I went through the whole thing, yep, came out the I still am, but I, I, at one point I was like a deadhead who would like drive around the country and do the whole the whole business. Yeah, that, that was a big part of my life a while ago. But Gary, I was what about, did you it, like, uh, Gary? It, it, <laughs> who did you like, Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir? Who was your? Uh... I was probably a Jerry Garcia fan, as far as the the lead guitar thing goes. Um, it's funny that you mentioned what you just talked about because I just read a book about it. It talks about everything you just talked about, and it just gave me chills. He spent like twenty years trying to write this book. It's called Chaos: Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the Sixties, and um, it it I mean it's a really good read. It, it it dives back all the way into the 40s, all kinds of characters and actors and musicians, and it, it ties all these things together. I, I really recommend reading it. It is an interesting story, and I have this book here, which is autographed by Vincent Bugliosi, uh, with his story, Help the Skelter. Things that I didn't know um, mm. about Hollywood, about the house, about the people that he rented it to, about the Beach Boys and how Charles Manson would go over to a Dennis's place and just take over and move everybody in there. And Dennis would leave and like, <laughs> just, they just give them the apartment, but crazy, crazy stories. They just gave me chills when he said that though. I'm, I'm really glad that you weren't there. Uh, I just like to just tell you a story. It just reminded me, sorry if I'm taking up the time here, but no, go ahead. Talking about a situation where, uh, how you can be embarrass yourself. So I suddenly, um, again, my lovely friend, Chris O'Dell, uh, we were sitting there with a guy with very, very long blonde hair. And uh, he turned around, we were sitting there, and I didn't know who he was, he was just a musician. He, he was there at the time of the Hells Angels. So we were talking and I said to him, are you in a band? He said, yeah. And I said, what do you do? He said, I, I play guitar. And I said to him, what band? He said, the Grateful Dead. And I said, oh, I said, I love the Grateful Dead. And they're like, oh, I, do I love the Grateful Dead? I was really going over the teeth. <laughs> I, I really love the Grateful Dead. And I said, that Jerry Garcia, what an amazing guitarist. <laughs> what an incredible songwriter. What, are the, what do you do? He said, I write the songs for him. 
Oh, Robert. And Hunter. I went, oh, and that was Bob Weir. Now, oh. if you ever imagine the film yesterday, which you all saw, just picture this. You've got John Lennon sitting there. You don't know who he is. And he <laughs> said, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm a guitarist in the band. What's the band called? The Beatles. Oh, that Paul McCartney. <laughs> what an incredible you know, this songwriter. What do you do? He said, um, I write the songs with him. <laughs> it was a very funny situation. Uh, that was my Bob Weir story. You had those twists and turns in your in your life, Leslie. I mean, you got you you got pulled over by a cop, and that kind of changed some things too. Remind me of that story before we wrap up because we're going over an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but little and I and the only the only dead song I like is really. Uh, I, I, and I'm not a big fan of Grateful Dead, but I do love the Jerry Garcia band live singing Simple Twist of Fate. I, that's my favorite track. But tell us a story about being pulled over by a policeman. Oh, it was very simple. It was, um, I, I get, I, I'm going to, I'm living in my, uh, with my mum and dad uh, in North London. I am just a, a new stylist. I've just, just been um, promoted from being a junior, junior apprentice to a stylist. I've got my nice suit on uh, and I'm driving a little mini, you know, black mini looking the part and I'm driving down the road. It takes, I had to go in the rush hour and I get sort of about 20 minutes into my journey and um, the traffic was really bad and there's a shortcut. So, you know, I did a left and I worked my way around, which I've been doing all the time, which everybody does. And I go all the way around and nobody's ever coming down coming towards me everyone sort of overtakes quickly and whips themselves in so it's a bit of a naughty thing to do but you overtake the people who are waiting and you nip in and no one's going to bother you and um i did it uh, except that the car just before the main road was a police car and i overtook the police car and i just whipped around oh next thing so stop at the traffic lights and it is absolutely pouring down with rain pouring and he said he in, in these windows of these minis, these early mini, uh, minis, it wasn't a wind-down window, it was sliding windows, right? So I slid the window over, and the policeman said, um, you know, you overtook us, uh, you should, you, alongside the road. So I said, yeah, I do apologise, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm getting late for work, a very weak excuse, you know. And he said to me, can you get out of the car? So I said, no, no, I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to get out of the car, I'm going to get, I've got to ruin my beautiful suit. Could I get, he said, oh, I don't give a shit about your suit. He said, get out of the car. So I got out of the car and I was making everything. Now I'm trying to get back in the car. So I'm now dripping wet, my shirt, my new suit. And I'm going to go to work. And he just looked at me and he said to me, I'm going to get done, son. You're going to get done, son. So I said, okay. And I started saying, wrote a few things down. Anyway, move it on. On April the 1st, April Fool's Day, as we have here. I go to a place called Hendon Magistrates Court. I then take my car, I then park it, and I'd already rung up the, we, the um, road association people that we, I was a member of, as you break down, but they had lawyers to advise you. And I said, look, I said, I'm going to front of the court. It's my first driving offence. I'm being done for driving without due care and attention. What's the worst that happened to me? He said, you'll get three points, and that'll be it. And then... Um, then you get any more points if you get nine points then you get banned right so i'm only going to get three and i said are you sure that no one i don't need anyone to represent me no it's a silly little thing you're going to get done 
okay, so I go into court there. Well, this guy who stopped me said to the judge, <clears throat> he was arguing, he was rude, he was this, he was that, he wouldn't cooperate. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm going, that's not true, sir. That's not true. He said, you wait your turn. Anyway, waited my turn. I get in there and he said to me, very easy, did you ever take a car? Yes. Well, that car happened to be a police car. Yes. So the guy, the policeman was absolutely right that you ever took it. Yes. Right. So you've done this, da 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 da, three months span. And I said, you can't do that. You can't, you can't give me three months span. I was told that you're not going to ban me. And he said, if you keep on talking, I'll make it six months. So what am I going to do? So I walk out. And as I walk down the court, the policeman said to me, I told you I'd get you some. And I looked at him. And I said, Anyway, with that, how it all came about, I now haven't got a car to go to work. So I remember looking in the Sunday Times newspaper, thinking, what am I going to do? And I saw an apartment uh, for rent in Chelsea. Um, I only knew Chelsea from the football team. I didn't really know Chelsea was like a place to live. Uh, I knew it was a sort of the cosmopolitan place. Yeah, nice. But, um, but there was an apartment for rent, which I ended up renting. And I moved and I never came back. I ended up in Chelsea, I ended up, there's another story, but I won't go into it now, that I ended up buying that flat, and um, it set me up. So thank you, Mr. Policeman, in the end. Living in swinging London, Leslie Cavendish, unbelievable. <laughs> and, you know, one other thing before we get close to wrapping up, and Professor, I'll give you a chance to ask any questions you want to ask before we go, but, you know, Leslie's a stand-up guy. He, you never kept any of the Beatles' hair that you cut Not and yeah. today you could retire on all the hair that you've, oh. you've all the beetle hair. <laughs> yeah, the problem is I wouldn't have a story. <laughs> I don't need the beetle's hair <laughs> my, in my mansion. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they liked you. You weren't, you were very subtle, you know, like for instance, when you were at a soccer game, I think, and Terry Stamp is in the car, who's a popular actor. And I think this is the one time you crossed the line, right, Leslie? You said, hey, it is Terry. I know Terry. And, so it's and he, yeah. yeah, what happened? You ran up to the car at a game. He was at uh, a very cool guy. He had a dark blue Rolls Royce wearing jeans and a T-shirt. I mean, how cool is that? And to go into Chelsea football ground, it's not like it is now, but they, they had the gates and, the, you know, the chairman, the players, whoever would open the guy would open the gates and Terry Stamp would open the gates and I was with my friends going there and I said to the guy I said I said oh one of them said to me oh that's Terry Stamp I said oh I know him he said what do you mean you know him I said yeah I, I cut his hair I know him and I with that I ran over to the window banged on the window like an excited mad Beatlemania fan I went Terry hi Terry hi how are you doing and he just looked at me and went uh, I'm right Thank you. I looked around to my friend saying, look, he knows me. It wasn't like, oh, hi, Leslie, how are you? It was like, get the hell out of here, mate. Uh, yeah. 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 He did me a big favor, though. He introduced me to his brother, Chris Stamp, who was the manager of The Who. That's how I got to cut The Who's hair. So it all there turned out okay. Then. I don't know if you ever cut Peter Frampton's hair because Gary is doing a well, big Peter, Peter Frampton, Frampton tribute. What a great. Do you, Gary, do you ever listen to any of these records from The Herd? The herd, no. Tell me about that. Oh. I'll go. I'll go check it out. <laughs> oh, Peter Frampton. Am I right? The band before the Humble Pie. Yes, I just yeah, discovered before Humble Pie. There was a great band called The Herd. Yeah, he was I, the lead thing. Yeah, 
used to love yeah. it. I swear I got to like uh, Peter Frampton. Yeah, listen to those early songs of his. I just started to to explore a little bit of that on YouTube, and I forgot the name of it. So yeah, I will. I, I definitely will. And uh, yeah, to tie him in with George, I I just found out that he's the one that plays the intro acoustic guitar part on My Sweet Lord. I didn't realize that he played on on All Things Must Pass, but he was a, a big part of that record, and he has some funny stories about George Harrison calling him, and I'm sure you probably already know those, but kind of an interesting connection there. Yes, yeah. so February 12th, two, 2022, in Arlington, Massachusetts, Frampton Comes Alive, performed by the Gary Backstrom Band. Uh, regiontheater.com if you're in the New England area. Professor, before we wrap up, any final questions, anything you'd like to chime in because I've hogged the mic for a little while here? No, 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 Chachi, you you haven't. And as the, the some of the best moments that we've had on our podcast, um, our guests uh, have been able to hog the mic. And so that's always a pleasure. I can say with absolute certainty, um, I can't recall any grand positive outcome from any traffic violations that I've ever <laughs> incurred, um, you know, it increased uh, uh, points for insurance rates. Uh, certainly, you know, if I ever thought that AAA would back me up in court, you know, that would be a great thing is, but um, that, that I find fascinating and all the other sort of um, uh, near misses in, and in history that uh, Leslie has discussed and how our, our guests sort of have covered some of the same ground. I, I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, uh, as Leslie talks about being such a big uh, uh, football fan and, and probably can right now tell us all uh, the prospects in the, in um, uh, the premier league and, and who's coming up and who's going to be relegated. Um, uh, in, in 1966, really at the, the apex, not just of, of soccer going on within England, but the fact that they won the world cup and not that the Beatles would have been blissfully unaware because they were sponges of the whole culture, but at that point, even someone who's not so much a football fan would have been drawn in because it was such a massive, uh, important uh, cultural moment. And, you know, Chachi, there's a, a clip that I'll play for my students in class around the early Beatlemania days, where uh, it's a great old uh, news report of um, of uh, uh, old Anfield, uh, uh, you know, the Liverpool Stadium, which is... I think, you know, Liverpool's version of Fenway Park and oddly enough, now the same man owns both franchises, uh, John Henry. But um, uh, where the crowd in the uh, the cop is singing, she loves you, uh, much like at Fenway Park, they would sing Neil Diamond, um, mm-hmm. Sweet Caroline. And so, you know, that the Beatles had so many uses in the in the popular arena, even in sports arenas and um uh, yet, uh, you know, and, and Paul has said in, in interviews, you know, when the girls were screaming, this was the passion they had. You know, guys would go and scream at a at a cup match, but this is what the girls had in terms of their their fandom that way and, and took it to the nth degree, just like uh, the folks in the cup or Chelsea supporters or, or anyone else. So um, I find that interesting that they weren't obviously sports fans, but they knew the power and the impact that they had was very similar to us, uh, to, to sports passion. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I wanted to ask uh, Leslie briefly, had he, has he in his trips to Spain, have you made a pilgrimage to Almeria where uh, how I won the war was filmed? I have been to Almeria. Yes. Um, I haven't actually seen the film set there, but uh, I have traveled up there not too long ago, about three years ago. Um, but uh, I, I want to go up to that part of the world as well as where 
they shot a lot of those uh, Clint Eastwood uh, westerns. Oh, <laughs> you know. yeah. So, well, it's uh, similar uh, similar to, to the film yesterday. It's a little bit of a historical what if, but uh, Leslie uh, or anyone else, uh, Gary, may be familiar with that film, Living is Easy with Eyes Closed. That's a Spanish film. Uh, and it's about the, the high school English teacher who uses Beatles lyrics to teach English to his students. And um, he makes a pilgrimage to Almeria because he hears that Lennon is going to be there. And the film sort of ends with John in his movie trailer uh, the, on the set uh, playing that early rough cut version of Strawberry Fields. And uh, it's quite yeah. charming film. This, knowing that, you know, uh, uh, Leslie spends quite a bit of his time in uh, in Spain. Um, so, no, Chachi, this is always, uh, uh, you know, fascinating. No one... Uh, I never feel like anyone is 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 hogging the mic because of what we get uh, in terms of information and details and historical offshoots. But then, you know, so sometime if I'm uh, I wouldn't be so bold even to cut traffic to uh, drive the wrong way down a one way street. So I'll give Leslie credit for that. You know, uh, that's a very Hell's Angels move, I'd say. Well, early mark. Yes. Well, we do want to thank our guests today. We love Mr. Leslie Cavendish. Leslie, my lovely bride, Stephanie sends her best, her love. She's in Florida right now, uh, spending uh, some cold weather down in Florida, which is rare, visiting her dad. So she sends her best and you have to get Leslie's book. It really is a favorite amongst so many Beatle fans. It's called The Cutting Edge, the story of the Beatles hairdresser who defined an era and an amazing story, so many more stories than we discussed here. What a life you have led. Being there on the set of Magical Mystery Tour, that's a whole nother story. But you can read the book. Uh, you can get it at um, Amazon. But isn't, do you have a site where you can buy the book where it's yeah. autographed by you, Leslie? You want to give yes. that? Uh, well, our good friend David Bedford started the Beatles Bookstore. So if yes. anybody wants to uh, get my book and any other great Beatles books are on there, at www.beatlesbookstore.com or you can Facebook me, message me and I'm um, very happy to answer any questions. I get lots of people messaging me and ask me, you know, not silly things, who's your favourite Beatle type of question, but, uh, you know, try to sort out people checking out songs or, or what happened there. If I can help, I will. So, yeah, you can always message me on Facebook and, um, and on my website, www.beatlesbookstore.com BeatlesHairdresser.com. So whatever suits anybody, I'll be only too happy to help them. Well, it's a great read. I consider it one of my beloved Beatle books, uh, and I recommend it for all uh, Beatle fans or casual Beatle fans because it's a great story. There's so many adventures of living in swinging London, and uh, man, what a story. Gary, we want to thank you. Gary Backstrom, a legendary Boston musician who's performed all over the country in front of orchestras, uh, tributing all kinds of music, but specifically his love for the Beatles. He's performed in front of orchestras playing Beatle music. His next show is called Frampton Comes Alive, performed by the Gary Backstrom Band, Saturday, February 12th at the Regent Theater in Arlington, Massachusetts. Gentlemen, thank you both. Leslie, I hope to get you to to the USA at some point soon when all this COVID stuff goes away and we can start going to Beatle conventions again. I would love to be with you. Look forward to it. Get a haircut. And and, and we get a haircut. Gary, good good luck with your concert. Thank you. It was was, uh, such an honor to meet you. And I'm thinking of flying to London to get a trim. 
<laughs> well, good for you. And Professor Gallant, thank you once again. You're listening to Get Back to the Beatles. You can hear us, all of our episodes provided by and produced by the Boston Podcast Network. And you can have your own podcast by reaching out to David Yaz. He is the the brains behind the Boston Podcast Network. David Yaz, thank you for producing our broadcast today. Cheers, Chuck. And we do want to say that you can hear New England's Breakfast with the Beatles, of which I've hosted over 25 years, on 91.9 FM WUMB in Boston and in New Hampshire and Maine on 92.1 and 97.1 FM. Gentlemen, thank you all very much. God bless. Be safe. We appreciate it, and thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.